Hello everyone, welcome to episode 39, I remember my 39th birthday, of Jen and Millie, I'm just kidding, I don't really, where a Gen Xer and a millennial share their strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your fabulous hosts. Oh man. I'm stepping it up today, Allison and Tess. Oh man, that is quite the introduction. I feel like I have to be fabulous now. Okay, that's the only way you can approach the age of 39. Okay. Is to you use words like fabulous and amazing and forties or stunning, stunning yeah, you know. and <laughs> growth and brilliance. Okay. Um, Good to know. You got a ways. Yeah. Don't I worry. Know. How long do you have? Just be. Let's be honest. Thirty-nine. So I have fourteen years. <laughs> that that pains me physically. Did you see me just like? That hurt my soul. In 14 years, I will be 58. Approaching <laughs> 60. That's awesome. Um, we were just chatting about whether or not we should have a 50th uh, episode celebration, so we'll maybe we should have a 40th. We should. And 45th and 50th. You get should to have a 39th celebration. Like, let's do it. So it's fabulous. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that once you get past age 30, mm-hmm. birthdays are not the celebrations they used to be. Okay, so this is maybe an interesting thing I like to explore for just a bit because I have done, I've gotten into a rhythm with my birthday that I love where I take a solo trip. I know, that's good. It's that's, my favorite, it's right? So it's wise. not a celebration. It's a it's a celebration, right? It's a trip, but it's not around other people, which I'm like, that probably is a lot to do with my strengths, right? Right. Um, but it's truly for you. It is. It's a gift yeah. to you. I think, Tess, that's really wise because a lot of, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean to put this on a gender, but I think a lot of women especially don't start doing, <laughs> it's going to be one of those days, <laughs> duty. Don't start doing things for themselves until they get to their 40s and maybe even 50s. Mm. And that's tragic. So mm. I hope you keep that birthday tradition and I hope you continue to honor that gift to self. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is the most bizarre transition segue. I don't even know how we got to this, but it came up in a conversation today. There is some new trending research around the newest generation or the youngest generation or the generation of our mentees right now that they're not getting driver's licenses right away and they're not getting their cars right away. So let me first, um, we pride ourselves in not labeling people. Mm-hmm. And I want to be sure that we don't do that. We're not making an assumption that all of the iGen generation are saying no to driving privileges. Um, and I also think to some degree, there's some brilliance in this. Yeah. <laughs> um, like they're smarter than we are For and sure. <laughs> they figured out things that consume a lot of time and consume a lot of energy and maybe they're just a little bit smarter about their resources. So I thought we'd dive into that a little bit because it came up in a conversation this week um, during a strengths training mm-hmm. um, and Terry Connell, um, who is uh, Miller Teammates Coordinator, has read the book iGen. She highly recommends it. I know she's told both of us. Have you read it? No, I have not. And I haven't read it yet either. We need to. But I think this is a good thing for our um, listeners to consider and ponder and ask some questions about. So I would like to ask you, Tess, Mm -hmm. when did you first start driving? First question. Second, did you see it as a privilege? So I started driving at... 
15 is when you can get your permit in Minnesota. And I got my driver's test as soon as I could. Um, you have to wait in Minnesota six months. You have to have your permit for six months before you can like take your test to get your official driver's license. And so because I was a very over-involved high schooler, I couldn't take the driver's um, uh, class until the summer. And so my six months was two weeks after my 16th birthday. So I felt like I was very slow compared to all my friends. Like all my friends would take a half day, go take their driver's test the day of their birthday. That was a, a you know, something to do when you were 16. Like for me, getting your driver's license, I wouldn't actually not use the word privilege. I would use the word right. Is that how you saw it? That's how I saw okay. it. It just is a rite of passage, R-I-T-E, and it's an R-I-G-H-T. Okay. Both forms of right. It's okay. a rite of passage as a 16-year-old, and it is my right. Everybody gets to have their driver's license. Everybody does get their driver's license at 16. So that was just how it was for me. It was also definitely very freeing for me to get my driver's license then because I was overly involved. Um, my parents definitely pushed me to get my driver's license so they didn't have to run me around everywhere. Um, and then I was definitely... Definitely, I've always been like the ringleader of most groups I'm involved in. And so I'd be the one that would drive most places. I'd be the one, you know, and so I actually drove, I inherited my mother's minivan and I drove my minivan. You knew me when I drew my minivan yes. up until my first real adult car purchase um, two years ago. And so um, I loved it because I could pile in all my friends and your first, um, when, um, when you have a permit and then your first six months of driving, as a 16-year-old in Minnesota, you can only have one other passenger in your car at any given time because there's a ton of friends, there's a lot of, there's all of this like distracted driving as a young person. And so when you're 16, um, if you get your driver's license right away when you're 16, the first six months, you can only have like one non, one additional non-family member passenger. So if you're running around your siblings or your parents are there, it's different, but you can only really have one additional friend, which is hard. And I definitely broke that law for sure many times <laughs> because I drove a <laughs> minivan that was just like begging to have all my friends pile into it, right? But, um, but yeah, I definitely felt like it was a right. Um, it was a rite of passage, and then it was definitely a, a token of freedom, I think. Um, so you answered two more of my questions that I was going to ask you. One was, what was your first vehicle? And the second wasn't really <laughs> for us to disclose law-breaking, <laughs> oh, but, but did you bend any rules when it came to your vehicle? So when I, what I was thinking is more, did your parents have rules about the vehicle or about the driving privilege or right that you yep did they have any rules about it that you maybe bended or interesting so um my parents were not rule setters it's kind of interesting that my all of my siblings turned out as okay as we are because we didn't have chores we didn't really have rules we didn't have a curfew yeah your we mom has have, discipline in her top she five. has discipline in her top five her discipline is very with achiever um with relator it's very um individual centric I wouldn't say like it's, it's like self-centered that's not how I would term it it's almost like it's she herself has to be disciplined and when we were growing up but I think right around that time as soon as we got our car like the, she didn't have control over our schedules our time where we went where we were coming where we were going and so it very much turned inward um, she wanted to know she color-coded our schedule so we knew where we were but it really didn't matter how we were getting there or anything like that or if you were late or if it, it kind of bothered her that we were late but I was never late. I'm not a late person at all. You know, we talked about my time anxiety. But um, oh, but I did want to say, okay, so this is a classic Minnesota story when it comes to driving. 
I took my driver's test two weeks after my birthday. So it's the, my birthday's right away in January. And um, it was in the middle of a blizzard. And school was called off that day. But I took my driver's test in the middle of it. <laughs> on, like, black ice. <laughs> like. So they probably just let you pass just to get out of the situation? No, I was very close to failing, actually. It's, like, my only... Because I, I, I did not... I practiced in... Um, my dad's car on my driving because he wanted me to drive with him but I took my test in the minivan which didn't make sense to me and so it was so much longer so I failed the 90 degree backing which who actually 90 degree backs into a parking stall I'm sorry why is that on a test I'm like if I'm gonna back into a parking stall I have my fancy little camera that shows me how to do it also <laughs> that kind of parking gives me a total panic attack right? so I and hit parallel is impossible so I hit a cone when I 90 degree back and so I, I failed that portion but got 100% on everything else so I was like so close close to failing because I failed the 90 degree back. Okay, so I feel like that's a whole nother Jen and Millie topic is failure. Oh, we have sure. not even come close to covering we that. We have not even come close to covering so many aspects of the human the, spirit. Like, yes. there you go. So here's my little segue into Tess brought over from her calendar um, a beautiful quote um, from an English philosopher. Man never made any material as resilient as the human spirit. So I'm going to save that. I'm going to get that's. This is a nice little lead into our next Jen and Millie because I think our next Jen and Millie should be around failure. That's good. I don't even like that word. Um, learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the growth is. So I would like for us to reflect on, and it'll be a great yep. Jen and Millie for our listeners to reflect on. What do you define as a failure moment in your mm-hmm. life? And what did you learn and grow from that? So looking back, when you hit the cone, did it feel like the most devastating moment ever? No. Oh, it didn't? No. (laughs) See, I would have. Because in my mind, I thought, and pardon me, you know, I thought this was stupid, right? Why am I learning how to do this? I'm never going to park this way. And so for me, my failure was qualified based on what I thought was necessary to know as a driver versus what the objective test meant. The law says. The law says, right? Which, it isn't even a lot of 90 degree back anywhere. I'm like, you know. Well, and I think it's so fascinating how much has changed about driver's licenses. Mm-hmm. So, growing up, um, I was a farm kid. And there were very significant qualifications for a learner's permit, a school permit. So, that, let's, let's qualify these. School permit is permission to drive to school when you are under the age of 16. A learner's permit is what you get when you can drive with a uh, legal driver. You mean, obviously, parents. That's typically at 15. And then a, I believe it's called a temporary driver's license is what you get initially when you first turn 16, and then you have to have so much time before they give you your official one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I really don't even know. Let's just say that. <laughs> I really don't even know. I'm talking about it from the perspective that I had and the perspective my kids had. Mm-hmm. Now, this is how much, we're going to talk about great generational differences. I had to take driver's ed. I did not have to pay for it. Driver's Ed was part of our education. It was part of education. And I took Driver's Ed with my history teacher, Lonnie Schaefer, and my friends, Jeremy and Travis, were unfortunately um, part of my team. (laughs) We were divided into groups of three. Mm -hmm. So we took, I mean, classroom instruction, which was basically like going up here to um, the safety council and learning coursework. And that happened over the course of a semester. And then you had driving practice. And Mr. Schaefer deserves every medal and award in the world because he not only did this with me, he did this with all of Exeter High School for I don't know how many years. Oh my gosh. Or junior high. Junior high kids. Junior high. Junior oh high Exeter kids. Oh, 
goodness. So <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. So I'm a farm kid, but my mom was very, very nervous and cautious. So I did not grow up running the tractor or driving the grain truck. I mean, even riding in the grain truck was a big, I mean, like I had to get clearance for mom to do that. Um, so I didn't have driving experience and my mom had never let me. So my grandpa, who, bless him, I mean, again, one of the most phenomenal influences in my life, especially when I think back, grandpa would sneak driving lessons in with me. And so he would, literally, he would come to pick me up for piano lessons or pick me up for whatever, and we would get outside of the driveway. We had a long driveway on the farm. We'd get outside, outside the driveway, and he'd say, okay, let's switch. So my mom couldn't see, and I would get in the driver's seat, and I would drive 25, <laughs> white-knuckled, freaking out. And I, we'd get to town, and then we'd get to the stop sign to get on the highway, and he'd be like, okay, switch. And then we'd get, he'd pick me up from piano lessons, and we'd get to the first gravel road. Oh, my goodness. And then we'd switch, and then we'd switch when we got to the mailbox so that my mom wouldn't see. And that was my only driving experience. It was very, very limited. Wow. So I go through driver's ed, and I will never forget... Um, Travis and Jeremy and Mr. Schaefer and I, I kind of confused the, <laughs> the gas for oh the no. brake. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Also, I failed parallel parking. Really? But he, I mean, he just let it be. So that was all, that was all you had to do was attend driver's ed. And it was part of the normal class. It was part of the normal class. And then you went to the courthouse and you were like, I'm, I'm 14, I live on the farm and... I'm going to be a driver now. That's all I remember. Maybe my parents had to fill stuff out. They probably did. But I started driving at 14. Wow. So I don't even know if any of you can imagine what 14-year-old me was like, but that was serious <laughs> level woo. It was one big party all the time. So as soon as I got the opportunity to drive, it was straight up freedom. I mean, I you're, so a school permit, when you live on the farm or you live far enough away from the school, means you only have driving privileges to and from school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in Exeter, you could cruise Maine. So to make this make sense, I know, Tess, and I'm so grateful for my Exeter listeners, and I hope you guys, oh maybe you could send pictures or... Please maybe, help me get, give me Maybe context. there's a video somewhere. Um, but you would go. So the main street is essentially from the railroad tracks to the swimming pool. And that would be probably about six block one, six to eight blocks maybe. And I know I'm really bad with, with distance and numbers. So Exeter friends, you can tell me I'm wrong. But no stoplights in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you crossed a highway. So you'd have to go to the stop sign, yeah. go across, and you would pull a U-E. You would drive to the to the railroad tracks, pull a U-turn, drive all the way, stop at the stop sign at the highway, mm-hmm. cross the highway, go to the swimming pool, pull a U-E, and you'd just do that on rotation <laughs> to see who was around. Oh, my God. And that's how you found out what was going on, and you'd stop at the old Texco station or you'd stop at the bullpen and talk with your friends, <laughs> and there were no phones. There were no phones. Yeah. You had to interact. Cruise so, Maine. <laughs> you would cruise Maine. So guess what I did as soon as I possibly could? Cruise in Maine. Cruise in Maine. Well, I got picked up more than once by the town. We had a town police officer. His name was Officer Callahan. And the he would, one police he officer. Would, yeah, only one. And we don't even have one now. <laughs> so he would pull me over and say, Allison, are you at a school event? And I was like, yeah. 
coming up from school. I'm going to Friends of Vocal um, or I'm selling magazines or whatever. You can't do that. So he gave me gazillion warnings. But also my parents watched the mileage. <laughs> oh, no. And, yeah, it you know, a young woo, a young Allison woo was just – Driving wasn't just a privilege and a right. It was my, it was my. It was your get out. It was my out. It was my. I got to be around people. I got to get to parties. So um, that's when I started driving. I was not allowed to take take my siblings hardly at all Mm -hmm. because my mom insisted they ride the bus because my mom didn't trust me. Um, (laughs) Good reason. But I do have one um, situation where I was driving my sister, my little baby sister, home. She wasn't a baby at the time, but um, I was driving Meredith home. And the road, we lived three miles out of town, so uh, gravel. Mm-hmm. And it had rained a lot, and I was driving slow, but, I mean, I just lost. I mean, it just started to just go. And I was driving so slow that it was the most slow motion going in the ditch. You can even imagine. If this would be a movie, it would be as if it was in slow motion. And I put my hand out, and I was like, Meredith, you know, Rudy. And we just slowly went in the ditch. And Rudy was just like completely unamused yeah she was I think she would have been so if she if I was 14 15 she would have been five and she was just whatever and I was bawling I was hysterical and our neighbor um our neighbor Linus pulled up and he was like are you in the ditch and I was like clearly and so he had to drive me and and Rudy home and I'd tell my parents that was terrible um I did see I did see driving as a right that was the first thing my parents took away from me. So when I got in trouble, I would lose my keys. Um, and I was very rebellious. So when I would lose my keys, I would figure out where the keys were. Um, and then when they got exhausted from that, they started unplugging my um, spark plugs so that I wouldn't sneak out and drive away with my car. To this day, to this day, if there is a Dodge vehicle that has a spark plug issue, I can tell you. I mean, I can hear it. I know it. Because I learned, I learned how to reset the spark plugs. Um, oh I had a Dodge. God. I had a Dodge. <laughs> You're oh, a rebel. I, I was big it. time rebel. And now it's funny because I go to sleep at nine thirty, and I like rules. Um, <laughs> I like rules. But I, I had a Dodge six hundred sedan. It was white. It was a four door. I don't even know that I could find them anywhere anymore. But oh they, gosh. it was a hilarious vehicle for me to have, and. Um, when I think about how I saw driving, um, I just didn't want to drive, ride the bus anymore. Yeah. So when my parents would take my keys away, they would force me to ride the bus with my younger siblings. So I was a senior in high school. It was May, and I got in big trouble, big trouble, and I lost my car privileges. Um, and my mom said, you know, just put the keys on the table. And she made me ride the bus as a senior in high school to school with my baby sister on a Monday after after graduation and I was mortified and I remember the the bus drivers I had over the years they were just like oh well what happened now what'd you do this time (laughs) so um now when I think about when I started driving Mm -hmm. I, I was so excited about it and now I think about driving and sometimes it's exhausting and then I think about distracted driving And I did not have nearly the kind of distraction in my vehicle in my 1988 
Dodge sedan that today I have. So this is a good question for our listeners to to ponder, and I hope they respond to us with, Mm -hmm. um, when did you start driving? Did you see it as a privilege? What was your first vehicle? And were you involved in any (laughs) bending of the rules? (laughs) I love that. Today's generation, what we're hearing is that they're less likely to sign up right away for a driver's license. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a little bit the iGen book that um, that uh, Terry has mentioned. We have to start. We have to read the books we reference, right? I'm going to reference it. I haven't even opened the book yet, but she mentioned um, Terry was awesome. She explained the book and she said one of the greatest needs of this generation, right? One of the greatest motivators of this generation is the need for safety. Um, with lockdown drills, active shooter drills, um, with um, worries about going to the movie theater, going to school, going to houses of worship, right? There is so much um, uh, more fear latent um, in everyday events, right? In everyday places. Um, And so she mentioned that um, kind of the need to feel safe is one of the greatest um, motivators of this generation. And so um, I think that that definitely, I, I think about the number of car wrecks there are, um, car crashes, and the number of deaths that result as that. Um, I think about the fact that when, um, uh, so I think part of that is the need to feel safe, right? Not wanting to have that on you, um, at, you know, wanting to be driven around. Um, I think overall there is a trending of um, adulthood coming later and later in life, right? And we talk about that a lot in terms of the young adult population. And um, I actually was um, talking with my pastor who's in a kind of a young adult ministry class right now. And there's essentially a new growth cycle period that they're literally inserting and will never remove from the growth development, human development cycle in research. And it's called the emerging adulthood. And it's people in their 20s all the way to sometimes early 30s where it's um, haven't gotten married, haven't settled, um, uh, haven't maybe done some of the things that, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago you would have done around mid-20s, late-20s, right? Moving to totally up and moving for a job, um, uh, traveling for extended long periods of time, quitting a job, things like that, that there's this period of life where there needs, there's a little bit of exploration and definition, right, that never has been there before. Um, and there's, he said there are like five factors to it, and I can, couldn't tell you off the top of my head what they are, but I think that adulthood is coming later and later, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this need and this desire, I think, at least if I were to put myself in, in the shoes of a 14, 15, 16-year-old right now in this current you know, the current world that we live in, I would want to feel safe as long as possible, right? right? I would want to abdicate responsibility as long as possible because I know responsibility or, or that kind of thing is coming, right? Um, and so I think it might have a couple of things to do maybe with those would be a little bit of what I would hypothesize. That, that makes me think of, um, you'll remember from Summit um, a couple of years ago when we um, listened to Jim Clifton's message yeah. mm-hmm. um, about the difference in generations when he was graduating from college, what his goals were and yeah. how different those goals are mm-hmm. now today for a millennial. Yeah. Um, the other thing it makes me think about is how we're seeing deliberative often in high school students. And, and you and I had, we really noticed yeah. that. Yeah. It's so much more frequent. It's like overall before like the youngest generation has taken strengths finder right if you look at frequencies um you know five years ago deliberative was in the bottom five in terms of the most frequent strengths to appear within someone's top five and i bet you we see 
oh, we say more it all than the time. one kid for sure in every place that we go to that has high deliberative. It's been so surprising, I think, for both of us. We've been trying to figure right. out why we're seeing it so well, much. Well, and I think one of the things that makes sense to me, mm-hmm. um, or I guess now that I've pondered it more, initially I thought, no way, not deliberative, because this is the quick, quick connect, quick, I get what I need, I've got social media, I can look up whatever on Google, I'm, I'm constantly fed by and feeding mm-hmm. this quick reaction machine. Yeah. But I don't think that that's fair, because I don't think, I was assuming, no way deliberative, because, um, you know, I hate to use the language, but kids aren't thinking about what they put out on social media. That's not a risk to them. Mm-mm. That's not where they see risk or decision-making. They see risk and decision-making in the things that we see as rights. They see driving as this enormous task that encompasses some risk. Mm -hmm. And we just see it as, like, I got to do that, and I want to do that, and I need to get from here to there, and I don't want to wait on anybody, or I don't want... Mm -hmm. It seems like freedom to us. I think to my generation it seemed like freedom. So I think it's really interesting when we think about deliberative showing up and what deliberative would mean to them. I don't think that they would use what I post on social media as an example. I think that's interesting because I think that if you, and and I would wonder and I would love to talk to somebody, you know, of this next generation, maybe I'll pick my mentee's brain when I see you tomorrow, Um, because I think there's a lot, there's been a lot of... um, just a kind of thought lines about the difference between I will post this on social media versus I will tell you this in person and the risk of the relationship, right? Yes. And speaking out what I might post on your wall or IM you, right? Or direct message you, you know, on whatever platform, that seems less risky because I don't see your reaction, right? right? There is a layer a barrier between us there isn't the intimacy right Mm -hmm. versus if I were to tell you the same thing I would write in person right that seems and and when I put that into context that makes total sense right that that completely honors deliberative Mm mm-hmm so that's so much more of a risk. Right. So, you know, we often talk about the chicken egg, the mm-hmm. what's nature, what's nurture. Um, I had a great conversation with my daughter about this um, this weekend because I went to help her clean her condo. Oh, 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 no. And I said, just by osmosis, just by simple DNA, do you not have the same kind of, like, I am so everything has to be so clean for me. Yeah. I, I, it's just a need. And she said, no, because you did it. She said, you literally did it. Like, yeah. we didn't have to think about cleaning our rooms because you were doing it. Mm-hmm. And I remember this triggered a, a memory for me very early on when I was first learning about strengths, and I did some work with my friend Monica and her daughter, McCall. And McCall has Organizer as one of her Strengths Explore themes. And her mom, I remember McCall, uh, Monica saying, What? You know, like she, she is not organized and her stuff's all over the place and I have to take care of all this stuff and her room's a mess and she doesn't know where she's going. And McCall said, because you do it. I don't have to. Hmm. But I use that strength when I'm at school yeah. and I use that strength on my own. And so it made me really think again about our nature nurture, mm-hmm. but also this chicken egg. So have we brought this generation to deliberative? Hmm. Or... Have they encompassed deliberative in a more meaningful way to them than what what we see deliberative? We talk about this a lot. Deliberative, I see Brandon. 
Mm-hmm. I see him taking his hands off of the off of the computer and pondering and thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I think, you know, we talk about strengths envy, but I really need we need to come up with a phrase for strengths labeling. That's not labeling, but when we hear a strength, that we immediately think of the person. Yeah. Because I I hear belief and immediately it's I think of like an association. Right? It is a strengths association. Right. It's like yeah. say a word and yeah, which we also yeah. should do on ungenerally sometimes oh with gosh, option so to edit. We <laughs> should do that word association game. I think it'd be great to bring on a guest. <laughs> yes, and we have the list of words, and then we can just do a prediction of what we think they're going to say. What we think they're going to say related to their strengths. strengths. Genius, genius. Oh. Okay, who's our first victim? Um, yeah, offer yourself. Yeah, offer yourself. Um, <laughs> so I think these are great things to ponder. Yeah. Um, we also, not just with driving, um, you know, I think we need to think thoughtfully about, mm-hmm. for those of you that can't see what's happening in real life, real time here, Tess has an evil eye that she gives people. I grew up with one of my friend's moms. Oh, that wasn't what I was doing? <laughs> one of my friend's moms had an evil eye that you did not want to receive. Oh, um, for sure. You have one? I have one for sure. That <laughs> I, was not what I was giving. I was actually more so curious. My adaptability was like, there's someone here that... Is it normally here? What is it about? Who is it? Um, uh, should I go meet them? <laughs> well, there's a little bit of woo there. A little bit. It pops up. It's yep. more my individualization, the curiosity, rather than the excitement to meet someone. It's a curiosity about their story. I thought you were giving the evil eye, um, giving the evil eye to sound. Um, can't wait to hear um, how sound works um, in our new digs. There is no quiet space around here. Nothing that's fully quiet around here. That's hard. I noticed you're in your headphones quite a bit. Like all the time. Because I'm in the center of the entire space. So I think if I put headphones in, it has to be white noise or my yoga um, Pandora. Because I cannot listen. I'm learning this about myself. I cannot listen to a podcast and do other things. Hmm. Even walking. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? I can't. I just get... I get in. I get so what? into whatever it is that I'm like, I could trip. I could fall. <laughs> I've been listening to. Um, oh little side note. I know I'm always talking about Maria Shriver, and I apologize, but not really. Her podcast is great, and she interviewed Chelsea Handler, who I don't. I'm not even a fan of, and it was so good. We're gonna talk about it when we talk about failures and we talk about resilience, and I'm gonna make mm. you listen to this. Okay. It was one of the best things I have listened to and the most startling. It is so, it is a get real with yourself, like mm. wake up. Wow. You can keep blaming the this, 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 this on everybody else, but you better take a long look in the mirror. Wow. And it was startling. And I've been doing a lot of reflection on, um, I don't want to call it where I fail, but where I don't see. And I can be everything that I, I can be the opposite of everything that I say I am, real quick. Mm-hmm. I can be mean, I can be judgmental, I can be um, completely in fixed mindset, I can be completely in weakness mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to spend some time getting really real about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning about myself. And Chelsea went on a year discovery. And it was related to grief and trauma. Yeah. 
And I think um, part of the reason I love that so much was our last Mentor Academy was on trauma, um, provided by Jessica Croker from Project Harmony. It was a really good academy. And just great awareness that we're kind of all walking around with trauma, but we get to decide what level it is. So I would encourage people to take the ACE quiz. I would encourage you to go, there's a resilience quiz. And Mm -hmm. I took it and thought, okay, I'm super resilient, but it's because I had all of these people in my life. It's not like I just stood up one day and said, I am resilient. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the people that you have in your life that help build you up when you fall. So teaser for the next one because it's way too way too much way too much yeah so I love the questions about so the questions about driving I think like when did you first drive um you know what was your first car did you see it as a privilege did you see it as a privilege and then I want to add another one that I think will help us maybe focus on strengths and our generational differences but um what is what for you and it goes along with that but uh, uh what would you define as risk and why, oh. what would you define as risky? Like, what's the most risky thing you've done in the last year? And what did it involve? So was it a conversation you had to have with someone? Was it skydiving? Like, I think that can look very different in terms of what someone would define as risk. So a hard conversation might not be something that I define as risk. Because I know I have a little harmony. And I have to, you know, that conversation has to happen. You know, I've had to have a lot of hard conversations recently. But for someone else that might have really high harmony, um, that might have high empathy, um, might say, gosh, I had to have a really difficult conversation with someone the other day. They might define that as risk. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear about that, um, maybe what you define as risk or what's been something, the most risky thing you've done recently. Um, and then wh- keep, how it you think, right? keep it clean. Keep it clean. Oh, keep it clean, please. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, that was assumed. But thank you for that call. For it. That that comes from the person who took a lot of was a rebel, and the you know versus the person who posed the question, who is such not like such a role follower. It's a bit scary. I'm like, gosh, Ellie, you were so cool, and I'm like, I was so boring. Oh my gosh, look how the tables um, have turned. <laughs> look what you can expect at 39. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to be turning into such a rebel. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, this hasn't happened yet, but okay. (laughs) Anyway. um, Yes, you are, actually. A little bit. You are. Your spirit. (laughs) Your definition of rebel. Rebel. (laughs) Rebel. Your definition of rebel is very much influenced by your strengths. How so? You are a rebel when it comes to the way things have always gone. Oh, for sure. You are a rebel in the way that you approach faith and philosophy. And um, you are a rebel. And it's based, it's built on your strength set. Hmm. Um, my rebellion is <laughs> based, based on my strength set. Interesting. You're right. Right. Yeah. I, ch- I would challenge the status quo. because right. You nice. would challenge a an established author, philosopher, I do most of the time. <laughs> I know. Because I think, mm-hmm. I mean, think about your learner and your context mm-hmm. and your individualization. Mm-hmm. Um, my rebellion is based on woo. Yeah. Big time. Interesting. Oh, goodness. Ooh, so that's gosh, a great that's question. Such a good, ooh, ooh. What does, okay, so what's the, a risky thing you've done recently and how do your strengths play into that and maybe how does your generation play into that? And then what does your form of rebellion look like? Based on your strengths. Based on your strengths. Wow. Man, did we just go? Those are good questions. <laughs> Look what happens See, when we don't plan anything. I'm telling you, what I say at the beginning, episode 39, brilliance. 
<laughs> no, you said fabulous. But I said brilliance you in there too, say, I think. Because that's what happens when you turn 39. <laughs> you turn 39. <laughs> Something I'll have to look forward to in 14 years. Oh, these are great questions. I hope our listeners will give it a go. We're going to add some things to our um, worth mentioning board. Mm-hmm. Um, some emerging adult, um, I think, Content. information would be great. Yep. Um, the, the Jim Clifton article reference. I think we've added that before. Um, I think we should add the um, resilience quiz um, and a link to the Vimeo page with the mentor. It's also on the mentor resource library. Maybe we can um, link the MRL, but we could probably also link directly the video of that. It was a great, as a mentor, it was an awesome Mm -hmm. um, mentor academy to sit in on and listen. And it'll give us kind of a precursor to our next session when we talk a little bit about failure and we talk about resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that we should share pictures of our first vehicles. I have a picture of me in my first vehicle. Boy, I hope yeah, I do, oh but gosh. I don't think I do. Gosh. I think I've destroyed it on purpose. Oh, um, but I, you know what, I have a picture of an ex-boyfriend in my car. Oh, no. I know I have that. Now, let's just talk about how sad that is. Um, yes. Totally based on rebellion. That is hilarious. Yeah, I was told not to date him. And I have a picture of him in my vehicle. Do you know how we took pictures back then? With a camera that would then be developed. And do you know who would develop my pictures? My mother. (laughs) She would take him to friend to the pharmacy and have them developed. Wow, I was just... That was such a... That's such a bold move. I was constantly rebelling. Oh, Mom, I'm so sorry. Oh. Oh. Oh, bless your mother's heart. Jeez Louise, that is a bull move. Oh, it was... Take a picture that your mom would develop. Yeah, of him in the passenger seat <laughs> of my car. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, yeah, tell me not to see somebody. Oh, yeah. Take a look at this. I love that. Wow, that's... Oh, my gosh. Can't believe I just admitted that. Okay, anyway. Anyway. Risk and rebellion. Risk and rebellion. We've We'd had a good to session today. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode number 39 39 flirty and thriving how about that um (laughs) um, of jen and millie uh we are new to the podcasting world so tell people about it ask them these questions and tell them where you heard about them um we will trademark because i think these are great self-development questions so no just kidding but um (laughs) tell people about us we'd love um, to spread the word and to engage more people in this conversation um to interact with us and to share your responses and your musings to the question that we pose um you can do that one of two ways follow us on jen and millie that's the best way to find us on instagram at jen and millie at g-e-n-n-a-n-d-m-i-l-l-i-e or if you're interacting with us as a part of teammates, you can always email Allie or I directly um, in a response to um, this episode that we'll send out. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we will see you next time.